Hey everybody, good morning. I, uh, I wanna welcome all of you. Thank you for being here today. And um, I wanna begin just to really say thank you to um, our staff and volunteers and all of you for making today uh, work. Last uh, Monday morning, uh, we left here Sunday. It was a great day, went home. Everybody was asleep uh, over the night. Uh, everything was working like it was supposed to, except for one pipe o- over here. And uh, Richie calls me on Monday morning and he's like, and I'm off on Mondays. And he calls me Monday morning. He says, um, hey, Mike, we got a big problem. Now there's like four things that immediately pop in my mind when someone calls me and says there's a big problem. And he said, we had a pipe burst, which checked off, you know, crossed off all the things I had on my list because that was not on there. And I said, oh, and he goes, hold on, let me FaceTime you. And then when he FaceTimed me, I said, oh, right. It was like way different. I thought it was an absolute flood. And um, I came in that day uh, just to see, and, I, and you know, I came in and um, I saw all the, it was just water everywhere and it made me want to cry. And um, not because, I'm, maybe I'm getting weepy, my, you know, as I get older, I'm sure that's happening too, but it made me want to cry, not because of the building, but because I know how hard our staff works to do a chaotic job already. Like all of them back there do hero's work, volunteer staff do hero's work every single week. And now it's just gotten significantly harder for them to do that. And that's what, but nobody batted an eye. They just like, oh, this is what we do. We'll adjust, we'll figure it out. And we're grateful to Leland that they're in a building now because we got all their portable walls. So we could set all that up. And it's just like, it all kind of works out, right? But nobody, and here, here's what I want you to see that, that all of us get to participate in this. Like when I got here, their response did something in me. Cause I'm like, oh, we're gonna be okay. And then as they started rippling out information and calling and kind of getting everybody together and getting our plan. And then was, as you guys show up, you know, you, how you show up creates something or causes something to be a reality in this. What you see, how we enter into these things um, actually changes or shapes. If you come in and you say, this is gonna be terrible because it's inconvenient, right? Or if you come in and you say, we can all pitch in and do something to make this something different than what it might otherwise be. And that's the vision that I want you to get in your head as we think about the gospel, we think about concluding this series in Jesus' invitation. Is that this isn't about something that we are waiting on to happen to us. It's something that we actually cause to happen as we take up and do the kind of things that Jesus asks us to do. And I want us to get a vision for that. As we wrap up this series, I kind of want to ask you a question. What is on the other side of fear for you? What might be on the other side of fear for you, we've been looking at this, this command or this, actually Carson said, we went, it's a statement of reality uh, from Jesus uh, and this invitation of, of his found in Matthew 16. It's found in two of the other gospels, but we've been looking at Matthew chapter 16 and it reads like this. This is Matthew chapter 16, uh, verse 24. And uh, while you're turning there, if you want to, we're gonna be looking at Philippians chapter three. So you can kind of, if you have your Bibles, you can thumb, uh, kind of thumb your way there as well. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says, he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, it's an invitation, it's a choice. Whoever wants to enter into this kind of lifestyle, whoever wants to learn how to be a student and embrace the kind of life that I bring, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Right, that's, that's what he says. And then he adds this idea. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will what? Will find it. And when I look at passages like this, I, I, I look at these and for most of my life, I read them and they, and they trouble me 
And they trouble me for a very obvious reason. When they trouble me, it, 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 it reveals or it, it, um, it reveals what I see first. And then the thinking process unfolds. What I see first is what's required of me. And the very next thing is, oh my gosh, is it worth that? That's what happens almost immediately in my brain. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The thing that I see is um, what is required of me. And the very next thought is, am I willing to do that? Will it be worth it if I do? And so Jesus kind of recognized that. And he says, hey, if you try to hold on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give it away for my sake, well, that's where you're gonna find the thing that you're actually looking for. We began this year, right, January uh, the first Sunday in January with Epiphany Sunday. I know it was like two years ago already. Y'all remember January? It's already the end of February. Who, who thought? We talked about Epiphany. Are you, is it starting to come back to you now? Epiphany? Oh yeah, I remember that. Epiphany is, is the Sunday we celebrated with, which means revelation. It means that what was, um, that something is being made seeable. That's what it means. We think of it like a light bulb moment. Like an Epiphany is like, oh, boom, something goes off. And now you think that I understand everything. And that's not what an Epiphany is. An epiphany is when you understand something in such a way that it changes the way you see and understand everything else. And that's really important to distinguish. To have an epiphany is to understand something in a way that changes the way you see and understand everything else. And this epiphany that we're talking about specifically is what is it that we see in light of Jesus? What does He do? What does His message do? His life do? His teaching do? His death do? His resurrection? What does it do? What do we see in that? What do we understand about that in such a way that it changes the way we see and understand everything else? And that's what I want for us to get to today. We are talking about, right, seeing something, like this vision for something that allows us to endure or to stay in or to continue. What is it that you see? So part of uh, these last few months, um, I've resolved that I need to get, you know, kind of tend to myself a little better than I have. And so um, we were talking about, you know, exercising and doing some things. I did physical therapy in some places last year to, to you know, kind of get some, uh, some things fixed that need to be fixed. And um, so I'm trying to decide what I was going to do. And my daughter invites me to go to uh, these fitness classes uh, with her um, where, she, where she goes. And the class specifically is called Hot Fit Flow. Okay, so if you've ever been to like a yoga studio and done hot yoga, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so I said, Michaela, I'm not sure I can do this. And she says, Dad, of course you can do this. And I'm in my mind, I'm going, I'm, I'm not 25 anymore. And I'm really not sure I can do this. But when your daughter thinks you can do something, you can't really go, no, I can't do it. So you have to just go and try to, you know, like she's, she's got good, her faith is good. And um, so I go with her and I'm so nervous because you get them, if you've ever done like uh, these classes where they're heated rooms, it's like 178 degrees in the room. And you go in there, it's not actually that hot, but you get this, it's hot. And you go in there and you get your mat down and they give you like these weights and blocks and straps and bands. And I'm like, oh, what is about to happen to me? And um, I lay down on my mat, I'm just trying to get acclimated to, uh, to the heat. I'm laying there and in my mind, I'm just thinking, okay, what is my goal in this class? And it's very simple, just don't die, that's, that's it. <laughs> and so Michaela looks at me and she says, you okay? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know yet, right? And so then, and, and it's, 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 a, it's a high intensity class. So it's not just like your normal yoga. So you do all the, and if you know what interval training is, you know what interval training is? It's basically where they set the clock for a minute and you like do as many things as you can in like 
uh, 50 seconds and you rest for 10 and then you do 50 seconds more and you rest for 10, which sounds so easy. I'm not gonna do anything for 50 seconds. I just can't do anything for 50 seconds 10 times in a row, right? That's the problem. And what begins to happen is you like look forward to that 10 seconds of rest and you're like, this is gonna be okay. And so, but here's what's astounding. When she, you're doing your 50 seconds, you're like doing your, your bicycle crunches or mountain climbers, which I hate mountain climbers. And uh, Savannah does them in every class, mountain climbers. And so we're doing mountain climbers and she goes, 10 seconds left. And you're like, ah, oh, 10 seconds. It feels like an hour. And then you're like, 10 seconds to rest. You're like, 10 seconds. It feels like a blink of an eye. It's like, what? That is not the same 10 seconds. But whatever, everything just changes. But here's what happens. So at the end of the first class, I didn't know this, but at the end of the first class, you do the whole thing. I did most of it. Um, I had to walk outside once because one of my other goals other than dying was don't puke in the room. So I had to like go outside and get a little bit of breath and then you know, come back in. And everybody's concerned, are you okay? You need some water? I'm like, yeah, not yet. Just let me sit here for a second. But when you get done with the class, your last, last exercise, the last interval, someone comes around to you and they hand you something that looks like this. Now, this doesn't mean much to you, but what they hand you is a cold eucalyptus towel. It is, it is a, a towel that has been soaked in like some kind of essential thing, whatever, right? And it's soaked and it's freezing cold and it smells ridiculously good. And they hand this to you. And so right before you die, you just lay on your face. <laughs> and it's like, you, it's like resurrection, man. You're like, this is awesome. And so whenever now, when I go to the class, whenever it gets hard, whenever I'm thinking like, I cannot do one more bicycle crunch, I think of the cold eucalyptus towel. It is coming. I can do one more. And you, you need a vision that is compelling enough for the sacrifice required, right? You get this. This is how we keep going in anything. It's this for me, it might be something else for you, but I wanna, but this is, this is the challenge because a lot of us, when we read these passages, the way in which we see the vision that we have isn't compelling enough for what is required of us to do what Jesus invited us to do, to deny yourself. If you wanna be His disciple, you've gotta be willing to lay down whatever you are holding on to. Right, to deny yourself. What does it look like? We've taught us, what does it look like for you? You've gotta be willing to take up your cross. You've gotta be willing to say, what is it that I'm afraid of? What is it I'm fearful that will happen? What is the thing that keeps me from this? What am I grabbing onto? What do I, what do I need to embrace? And then to follow, to be willing to embrace this way of life under the rule of God's love in allegiance to Jesus in His way learning how to live empowered and strengthened by the work of His Spirit in our lives. And that's what we're talking about in this. We have a tendency to try and save ourselves. We've looked at this to preserve our own lives. When it talks about saving ourselves, it's interesting, you'll see this later on. But a lot of people think if you were to ask them something about religion or God or heaven, they'll usually try to tell you something about them being a good person. And so sort of our theological view is that God is good to good people and He's bad to bad people. And so our job is to try and be good. And if you've been bad, then you try to figure out how to be good enough to get the bad sort of equaled out. And that's just our natural, normal framing, what we think about the world and how we're gonna approach this. And the reason is because, and what this, what this does to us is then you feel like or you live like you have to perform your way in order to be worthy. 
You have to contribute something and offer something or make something or be something in order to be worthy of anything good happening. And so we save ourselves by performing our way into a sense of worth. Some of you do this in your relationships. You do this at your jobs. You do this everywhere you are. You, you, you're constantly trying to prove yourself to sort of see if, there's, if you're worthy of whatever. There are people who self-sabotage themselves because good things happen to them and they don't feel like they are worthy of them. And this is all rooted in this sense that we're trying to save ourselves by some thing that we see or some way of life that we have a vision for. Others, right, we, we sort of get our way and we figure out we got our lives working the way we want and now we just got to hold on to everything. And when you're young, right, and you're kind of working for everything, you don't feel like you have anything to lose. So you just kind of go for it. But as you get a little bit older and you start realizing, oh my gosh, I've got more to lose, you start to grip, tighten your grip on things. And you try to preserve the things that bring you security. And so we live our lives. So these are always a sort of saving ourselves, holding on to ensure that nothing bad happens or nothing as much as I can control. And listen, I get this. This is, this is our default. This is how we all just embrace this way of life. And, if you, and the thing that we have to understand is that what Jesus is asking of us really all runs together. It's not just enough to deny yourself. A lot of you have grown up in a religion where that was the mode, you just deny yourself. You just deny yourself. You just take your wants and put them aside and you just, you, you want what Jesus wants, but it was all about self-denial. We spend so much time trying to keep ourselves from wanting things. And what happens to you when you live like that is you just build up a ton of resentment or a ton of self-righteousness. When I was in college, you know, when I went to college, I went to college where I didn't know anybody. Um, I went away to college my sophomore year or my, my second year, second semester of my freshman year. And so nobody knew me. Oh, this is so much fun. I can be whoever I want to be. I can tell them I was like a state champion football player and there was no Google, so they couldn't verify it or anything. Just, just, just tell, whatever you told them was what they would believe about me. And so I'm trying to think in my head, what kind of person I want to become? What do I want to tell them, right? To, to say what kind of cool person I am. And then you're there and everything is in front of you. You get to make all the decisions about what kind of person you want to be about what kind of things you want to do. Do I want to drink and party? Do I want to chase girls? Like, what do I want to do? All these things are in front of me. And so I had to make decisions. And because I was trying at some level to follow Jesus and I'd heard this verse, deny yourself, take up your cross. I didn't know what take up my cross meant. So I didn't really worry about that, but I just, I'm just going to deny myself. So I decided I wasn't going to participate in a lot of things that my friends participated in. And what I thought happened, what happened was that if I did the right thing, I would be rewarded and my life would go well. And they did the wrong thing and they would be punished and their lives would go off a cliff. And what I found was that they did all the things, they got all the girls, they had all the fun on the weekends and they still made good grades. And you start to get a little resentful of them or you start to get a little self-righteous about your own sort of sense and way of life. And this is why this is all goes together. It's not just enough to deny yourself but you gotta take up your cross. And this is where we need to understand what does this mean for us? We talked this last week. What does it mean to take up your cross? And this, this really is about seeing something in such a way that it compels you to, um, to give yourself, to have a vision that is compelling enough for the sacrifice that is required for your life and my life, something worth giving our lives for. And this is precisely how Paul talks about this in, in Philippians 3. Again, verses I grew up with uh, kind of hesitated and you'll see why very quickly. 
Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians and um, he's writing it from jail. So he has literally lost everything. And as he's writing there, he's telling them, if you want to encourage me, get your mess together. Like, let's like, be of like mind, be of one mind, be of one spirit, like work together, cooperate for the sake of what Jesus has brought. And then he quotes a poem in chapter two, um, who um, having the same mind as that of Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something that needed to be held onto or preserved. There was a sense of identity that he knew. He didn't have to prove it or hold on to it. And he's telling us to say, have the same attitude, the same mindset. That there's a sense of worth and identity that you've been given that frees you from having to prove that to anybody or from having to hold on to it at the expense of anything else. That's how he begins this passage. Then he goes on through and he gives them some commendations and some instructions. Then he comes to this part in chapter three, uh, verse seven, where we'll start. Um, And he says this, that was a Stanley, wasn't it? (laughs) I told my daughter, I'm gonna charge her rent for those things, man. I'm I'm just kidding, if I embarrass you, I'm so sorry. Did y'all not stand? Have y'all seen them? They're like this big. Okay. <clears throat> Philippians chapter three, uh, verse seven. But whatever things were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. It sounds very much like if you lose your life for my sake, I consider all these things as loss for the sake. Of Christ, whatever things were gained to me, I just consider, I consider them something else. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And let me, let me do a quick disclaimer. Here's what he is not saying. He is not saying that whatever you have done with your life is garbage or rubbish. He's not saying that what you do with your life, he's saying there's something that causes me to see something in such a way that, makes these, that gives these other things a different perspective. There's an old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his uh, wonder and grace and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right, it's seeing something in a way that makes everything else seem different. That's, that's what Paul is getting at here. I consider all these things lost. What is more, I consider everything a loss and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And and so we've heard these things and we try to make what we care about and what we want and what we do with our lives less that's not the point. The point, you know, some of you, I, I wrestle with this because people often think because of what I do, I've talked to business owners and people who work in different professions. They'll say, Mike, what you do is spiritual. But what I do is not. I'm like, who asked you to do it? Right? If God asks you to do something, it makes it by default, it makes it spiritual, it makes it matter. So this isn't, this isn't, he's not saying that it doesn't matter. He's saying that we got to see something in a way that puts everything else in perspective. And it is very dramatic language. And it's intentionally so. Because what he's about to, he's about to offer us is this idea of what does it mean to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, to be found in him. 
And what he says is to be found not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't depend on my accolades. I don't depend, depend on how moral I am or how good I am or all the things I do. That's, that's not my righteousness comes from. But that which comes, and this is where the English language just doesn't quite do this justice. It says, but that which is the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ in the end of, uh, in the, in of verse 9. It, it really should read, the better way it would be literally is that which comes through the faithfulness of Christ. How was Christ faithful? How was he obedient? He was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. That our, this thing that we're receiving comes to us because of the faithfulness of Jesus to go to the cross that therein enables us to take up ours. You're not doing this to prove anything. The righteous, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked this, the, the, the righteousness is not that you are well behaved. It's the Greek word, dikaiosune, which is this, this, it's this essence that in Christ, when, when, when we embrace and we live and we believe and we trust and we walk in Him, we, we receive into ourselves a kind of, a kind of identity that is unshakable, a kind of worthiness that's unshakable, a kind of goodness that, that reaches into, if we allow it, if we really learn how to do this, it, it sinks into us so deeply that we therein begin to believe that everything else could also be good. And that it's really important for us to think about. Because most of us, our belief of the gospel all has to do with me and my salvation and getting me somewhere when I die. And what salvation is about is transforming you into the kind of person who can see this. To see Christ in such a way, His surpassing value, the vision, right, is worth the endurance required. That's, that's what He's getting at. And so this, this idea of righteousness has to do something in us. I mean, think about how it feel for you to become the kind of person. There was such a deep sense, like the essence of God's goodness was yours. And out of that, you begin to actually believe that everything else could possibly be that way too. Like that's vision. That's what we have to learn how to see. He goes on and then he says this. So this righteousness that comes on the basis of, of faith, of trust, of being um, reconciled to this way of life. And I would have been fine with all this. I'm actually fine with this next little bit. And I used to teach on this verse and I would stop at a particular place and you'll see where in just a minute. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, of course. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Yes, sign me up for that and the participation in his sufferings. I'm out, right? No, thank you. Don't you all feel it? You feel that when you read this. We love to consider all things as rubbish in the surpassing view, and we love to say the resurrection, but to enter into his death, to enter into his sufferings, to become like him in his death, to be obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Becoming like him in his death. And I love, I love that Paul's writing this to this church. And he's like, I want to I I know the powers of resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to enter into his death. And somehow, some, like it's just this, in some miraculous way, I don't know how it's going to work, that I'll, I'll find this thing that I'm looking for. This, attain this resurrection. So it's very like, it's very 
big language. And what I've kind of learned is that the things that we depend upon to validate our worth pale in comparison to knowing Christ. And this value that we hold with everything else is, is always scaled in that. And so it's interesting because what, what God has done for us in this, this making us right is something very, very different, something that we don't actually, we, we need vision for. So like when Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, you've probably heard this, he is a what? A new creature, the old has gone and all things are made new. And we just read that like it's a new car or a new iPhone, right? It's like an upgrade. It's like I had a 10 or an eight with a home button. Somebody used to have the home button. And now I got a 13 and that's new. And they would have used a different word for that. The word that's used is it's kanos. It's categorically new. It's, it's unlike the old thing, it is so new. It's, it's like it would be different between going from the old landlines that we had in the 80s to the iPhone. Are they the same thing? Yes. Are they not the same thing? Of course they're different. It's a categorically new in that sense. That's, that's the scan. So you, in Christ, you are made not just an improved version of what you might have been, you are categorically new. And what you'll begin to see are things like this. When Paul talks about entering into the death, taking of the cross, entering into the death of Christ, you'll see him write things like this, Romans chapter six. We just celebrated a baptism today. And this is what the picture is of this. And Paul is talking about this, but he's talking about more than this. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, who were immersed into Christ Jesus, submerged into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. It's the entry point. We therefore are buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of, through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in a kanos, in a categorically new life. Do you have vision for that? Like, and, and it's okay if the answer is no. That's what we're asking. We're asking to know Christ and to see him. That's what we're asking. So we start where we are and we look and we say, I don't see this enough. All I have right now is this towel. Right? I didn't know this was a thing and I'm trying to get there. And when I get there, maybe there'll be something else. Galatians chapter six, he writes this again. Paul, the same, same guy. May I never boast in, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've spent a lot of time, my, my practice over this Lenten season, heading up to Easter is, is not to get ahead of myself in the resurrection because I like the resurrection a lot better than the cross. I wanna focus on the cross. May I never boast in the, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision, or as he's talking about the, the, the identity that comes from the law, the, the, the foundation of identity, um, ne neither of these things are anything, but what counts is what? Categorically new creation, same word. Categorically new, it means, if you, if you, when Steve Jobs said he was gonna put a thousand songs in your pocket, most of you don't even remember this. People were like, oh, 
What was he talking about? When he talked about putting a phone and a camera in the same device, people were like, That's, what, why, why, would you even, why would you even need that? It's categorically new. No one could see it. What we are being invited into is that, it's, it's bigger than that. You're being asked to be a new creature, a categorically new human being in a categorically new creation. And we need vision for this. We need to, to worship and to see and let God reveal himself to us. The cross that we are to take up is a demonstration of God's love. We taught this last week. That's what he was doing. He was saying, this is what God's love looks like. It is others-oriented, self-sacrificing. And it is the reconciliation of the world. It's those two things. And Paul continues in this passage in Philippians. He says this. Not that I, you know, I want to know somehow his, his death, his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, and somehow attain the resurrection. Then he says, not that I've already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, to grab a hold of the purpose, the intention that God has for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want you to pause and I want you to read that last line again. I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, what do you see? When you hear that phrase, calling you heavenward, what do you see? My bet is you're now trying to talk yourself into why this should be more compelling than it is. Because you probably see like a couple of columns in a gate and St. Peter's hanging out there. And he's going to ask you a question. And when you get, anybody feeling me, right? When you get there, you're going to answer the question correctly and you get in, everybody's going to be wearing wings, walking on the streets of gold and you're like kind of a brushed nickel kind of person. And you're trying to figure out like how does this move me? And are we, are we tracking? The high call of this heavenward place is not like that. It's the rule and the reign and the way that God has intended things to be all along. And it's the reunion of heaven and earth on earth as it is in heaven. And what he's asking us is we want to learn how to live in this way. Right? These three things, if you want to be his disciple, three things real quick. Number one, we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. Right? We've talked about this. We, we um, follow him. We learn to embrace this way of life. And this is, what, this is what he says. If you want to be my disciple, this is what you do. And then later on, he's going to ask us, and he's going to say, do you know what being a disciple looks like? Do you know how people will know that you are my disciples? Do you know the answer to this question? He says, they will know that you are my disciples by what? By the way you love one another. So what it stands to reason is this, that when he's asking us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him, what do you think the result of that is? That's where we learn how to love. It's, it's the taking of our cross. It's a demonstration of God's love. It's to act in ways that do what love does, which is bring about reconciliation. It's learn how to get a vision for this so that it makes our lives worth 
giving ourselves for. Like that's what we have to have. You have to have a vision that is worth the sacrifice involved. To take up your cross, right? It involves a price. I just don't know that we have a vision for this. I've mentioned to you, I read uh, poetry from time to time. And um, part of what my exploration of the cross has done, I got a couple minutes left. I know we're a little bit over, but just stay with me for a minute longer. Um, the, when, when you read through, uh, and there's passages that I've read for my whole life and I see them differently today because I'm not afraid of them as much. When I hear taking my cross, my, my immediate response is fear. Is it yours? I'm afraid of what I might lose or afraid of what it might cost me. So I then try to preserve and I'm becoming less afraid. It's still, it's still fearful at times, but I'm becoming less afraid. And what the cross is, Jesus says in John 12, he says, the son of man will judge the world and he will drive out the evil one. When the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And He spoke of this to tell you what kind of death He was going to die. That's John chapter 12. They would be lifted up from the earth on a cross. And in doing so, he would, that would be the callous to draw all human beings back to Him. But in the meantime, He's going to judge the world. And what a lot of us think, right, is that when He says He's going to judge the world, He's going to be like, well, it's you and you. I'm not going to point at you. I'm going to point, I need to, I did this early. I keep forgetting. You're going to think, oh, Mike said I'm not in. It's you or you, you're in, you're not in, 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 right? That's how you think he's gonna judge the world. But when he judges the world, what happens is when he's on that cross and the Roman centurion, the one who put him there, looks and says, oh my gosh, what have we done? Surely this man was the son of God. That something about him brings all of us into a position to assess ourselves and to, to, te to, to test ourselves and where our allegiances are. Because now we are confronted with love and love shapes us and love confronts us and love challenges us because it invites us. We have to respond to it. And this is, this is precisely the picture that he's giving us when he says, he's inviting us to do this. I mentioned to you, I read, um, I've been reading a lot of poetry, not a lot, but some, just trying to train my brain. And I have a, uh, a poem in my journal that I read pretty much weekly and it's by Wendell Berry, and it's called uh, The Diary, uh, sorry, The Manifesto of a Mad Farmer. It's, it is fantastic. Um, but so I was reading around sort of articles about when he was writing this, and I came upon this quote from him, and I read it a few months ago, but I want to read it again. I believe that the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, it coheres, and that it endures by love. And that insofar as it is redeemable, it can only be redeemed by love. And you, you, you gotta wrestle this out. It's nice to shake our heads too, but what we believe is the world is redeemed by violence and war and politics. But that's what we, that's what we do. To believe that the world, what's redeemable about it is only redeemed when we're willing to take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. I believe that divine love incarnate and indwelling in the world summons the world always towards wholeness. Can you see that? You, when you just say those words, you're like, oh, man, that'll be for everything to be, to be drawn towards the beauty of this wholeness. Only divine love incarnate 
and indwelling in the world. Our divine love incarnate and dwelling in the world summons the world. Do you know who incarnates and who lives this out in the world? It's us. Your life summons wholeness. That's the vision. I believe that divine love incarnate and indwelling in the world summons the world always towards wholeness, which is ultimately, which ultimately is reconciliation and atonement with God. So here's what I want you to do. So this helps me get through the class, but this is not why I do hot fit flow. I do hot fit flow because I want to be able to do crisscross applesauce when I'm 84 years old. That's the vision. And I recognize there's a lot of factors that are out of my control, right? I get it, but that's my vision. So just let me have it. I want to be able to do crisscross applesauce when I'm 84 years old. And what I believe is that all the things that I do today, the things that I give myself and sacrifice for today are creating that reality at some point in the future. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, that's what we're talking about. Your faith, your walk, your willingness to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him and to live this way of love is summoning the world to a kind of wholeness that isn't about pearly gates, but it's about a new heaven and a new earth that you are doing things now that are gonna create something or contribute to the creation of something a while from now. I wanna close and read this to you from the book of Revelation. Most people read Revelation as some kind of Da Vinci code to figure out when Jesus is coming back. And in doing so, you miss, you miss the beauty of the gospel. You miss it. And it makes me sad because I've seen what this does to people. And what John is doing is he is unfolding for something to awaken a longing for us to see something in such a surpassing value that it makes us willing to give our lives for. Then the angel showed me the river of the water as clear as crystal flowing down from the throne of God and the Lamb. And down the middle of the great street on the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, each fruit yielding every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There'll be no need for light of a lamp or the light of the sun and the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Do you realize that in the cross, all the systems are exposed and judged and overturned? Do you realize that in the cross, there is power over sin and death? That the language of the cross is to be crucified. Some of you who struggle with addictive behaviors, you keep trying to tame your, wouldn't it be nice if your addiction was crucified? crucified, like dead, that it had no power of. And most of us, most of us deal with some kind of addictive behavior, just so you know, right? But this is the language of Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. To take up your cross is a way to enter in to something that brings you the kind of life that you long for where these kinds of things happen. When Isaiah was writing, he said, it is the chastisement of our peace was upon him. But by his wounds, guess what? We are healed. These, these aren't facts. These are, these are statements to awaken us 
to see something? How do his wounds bring healing to you and to me and to us? How does his punishment bring peace to you and to me and to us? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, beautifully adorned. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then the one who is like the slain lamb will declare, I am making everything kanos. I am making things altogether categorically new. That is what we are invited to see. That's what the gospel does. That's what our faith is for. I wish there were three steps I could get you and then you would know this, but you can't. You can only find this by getting on your knees, on your face and saying, God, would you help me to see you? God, would you help us? We have visions for lots of things. And some of them are beautiful and they get us closer. We long for people to be employed well. We long for people to have food. We long for people to have the security. We long for them to be protected by the systems and the laws. We long for all these really beautiful things that, that hold redemptive potential. We got along for the day when you stand and you declare that now everything is fully and finally categorically different and that somehow what we have done here and now makes its way to there and then in some miraculous way. God, would you give us a vision compelling enough, a vision worthy of the sacrifice required. And I ask you to do this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.